All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. You're listening to Real Life, a podcast from the Nation Network. I got 50, I got 50 for days. Brought to you by Finning Canada, the parts you need when you want them. Welcome back to another edition of the Real Life Podcast brought to you by Finning Canada. All the parts you need in one place, Finning Canada. Jason Greger, Jason Strudwick, former NHL player, now host on TSN 1260. Uh, Wanye Gretzka, former uh, PWD uh, division uh, leading scorer, as well as the uh, founder of uh, Orders Nation. Couldn't be further from the truth. You weren't the leading scorer that year? Tier 15. Oh, I played sorry. one year of PWD. Tier 15, oh. most improved defenseman. Try taking that on a tier 15. Everybody be bloody improving. But I was the Mm. improviest. That is Mm -hmm. something. Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. I didn't even know there was that many divisions. Yeah, no, we were were the last one. Isn't that just shinny hockey? No, no, we had a goal. It was contact back then, too. Oh, you had to be. uh, You had to have your head in the school. Nice. Old school. Did you like contact? Yes, I loved it. Okay. I just had no physical skill, coordination, anything like that. Right. Well, our next guest has a fair amount of it. Oh, yeah. All of it. Well, Total package. Guest, you know, the coordination you need to travel the world playing sure. for every single pro hockey team that's well, available. Does, <laughs> his hockey DB page, honest to God, does not fit on one screen from top to bottom. I've, I've got to scroll down. I love it. He started his uh, his uh, career with the Medicine Hat Tigers in the WHL. Then he played with the Swift Current Broncos and the Portland Winter Hawks. Then he went to uh, the AHL with the uh, Fredericton Canadians. Uh, farm team of the uh, Montreal Canadiens. Then I uh, was with the LA Kings in Springfield, the Islanders and the Monsters. I, ca- I can't even get through the list. I'm getting tired oh. listing it all off. Of course, he ended up playing 341 NHL games, uh, hundreds of games in the American League, and he's uh, played the last four years as uh, the dominant player uh, for uh, the, sw- the Swedish Elite League. Uh, he played for Tapera and uh, finished up the last two years in uh, Cuckoo 
Kovula, I think that's correct. Uh, Josh Green joins us. Josh Greener, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, boys. How are you guys? Good. Uh, now, was it uh, was it Kuku Kovula? Is that how you say it? Uh, the the team name was Coco, and it was in the city of Kovula. Kovula. So you weren't even really close. Okay, that's good. That's good. I'm. Well, it's Europe, right? He was in the Europe yeah. zone. Yeah, you were in Finland. Yeah, you weren't yeah. in Sweden. Yeah, you got you got Europe right. The last four years were were in Finland. I I did mix in a year in Sweden, but uh, the last four were in Finland. Yeah, you also played in Austria, one mm-hmm. year. Man, yeah. you you've been all over. You must have like a kick-ass hockey playing passport if there is such a thing. <laughs> well, yeah, like I I think pretty much every page on my passport before I had to renew it. I renewed it a couple of years ago, but every single page was was full on the passport. That's amazing. I mean, Greener, I, I think that, you know, when I, when I look back on my career personally, I look at, you know, the teams I played for, uh, you know, and then and the, the cool part is the people and the, the experiences that I had. I mean, looking at your list, you must have had some amazing one of those. And, you know, starting off in junior, medicine had a, a pretty good spot to start out uh, and some good success early. Was that, you know, did you know for sure you're going junior hockey, never looking at college? Um, I thought about college, but I, I wasn't much of a school guy, so I – I pretty much set that aside right away. I I had talked to some other people and and we pretty much figured that junior was going to be the the route for me. So uh, I was lucky. I, I fell into a nice situation in Medicine Hat my first year. Uh, went there as a 16 year old. wasn't expected to make it at all. I was going to come back and and uh, actually was going to play for the Crusaders in Sherwood Park was was the plan. Um, but I ended up sticking around and we had a team full of rookies that year. So I. I got a really good opportunity to play um, a lot of minutes and on the top line and power play and all that stuff. So uh, I kind of fell into a really good situation there in Medicine Hat right off the bat. Getting drafted. I mean, talk about getting drafted. It's everyone's got their. Were you at the draft or where was the draft at? Obviously, they uh, took you a little bit later than you expected. Yeah, like I was rated uh, middle first round uh, somewhere in there. Um, so yeah, we went to the draft. My family and I. Uh, my two brothers, mom and dad, and um, we, it was in St. Louis. And uh, like I said, I was supposed to go in the first round and uh, we sat there through the whole first round. It was, it was really tough actually. Cause um, you know, my heart set on being a first rounder and ended up going, I think four picks into the second round. But you know, once you get picked, all that disappointment kind of goes away and, and then you, you realize, okay, I'm on my way. I've got a team now and, and any any disappointment or whatever I had uh, during the early part of that day just went away, and I was so excited to to have an NHL team. History covers up a lot of stuff too. When I looked at your uh, page here on HockeyDB, I was like, "Oh, you got drafted in the first round, thirtieth overall." Not remembering that you're super effing old, and right. when you got drafted, there was the original six, basically. <laughs> so that's good. When people look you up now, they're like, "Okay, thirtieth overall, not bad. Last pick, Fourth first round, round. Yeah. <laughs> no big deal." You know, when you look back, teams back then. Yeah, there was a lot. Yeah, there's oh, yeah. no doubt about. It. When you look though, when you when you the type of player you were in junior, did you get to play that style of game when you turned pro NHL and on from there? Um, I think they gave me an opportunity initially to to try and you know bring an offensive element to my game. And as you know, it's it's really hard to score at the NHL level. And I even found it you know when I was in the minors, just you know you're playing against men, so obviously everything's a little bit tougher there. And, um, I struggled to score my first year. My, I played for LA uh, my first year. I think I about 26 games my first season and only had one goal. So I found out pretty quick that if I wanted to survive in the league, I, I need to get better at some other things like the defensive side of the game, penalty killing, um, being physical. and um, So that was something I really tried to work on. Obviously, I still wanted to score and always had aspirations of 
you know, being a, a good scorer in the NHL, but it just kind of never really, really happened for me. Well, uh, Greener, going back to that 1996 draft, you mentioned you weren't a first-rounder. There's about 14 teams that wished uh, they would have taken you instead because uh, you played uh, more games. And there was only 26 guys in the first round taken, and uh, you played more games than 14 of them, including uh, Volchkov, who went, who played three games. He went fourth overall. Uh, Aiken uh, went eighth overall to Boston. Uh, Foyk and Holden, those guys went 11th and 12th. Uh, uh, Mario LaRock from Tampa, never even heard of him. He played five games. Uh uh, Oilers took uh, Matthew Decoteau, the defenseman, uh, 19th. Uh, he never played either. So uh, where you get drafted obviously doesn't mean a whole bunch. But I was looking, uh, you played in eight different uh, AHL cities uh, for eight different teams. In the NHL, you basically were on 10 different teams, eight organizations, because you had two tours of duty with the Oilers and with the New York Rangers. Just how how difficult was it like having to introduce yourself into a new room to feel comfortable all the time? Uh, difficult at first. I think, you know, after a while you kind of get used to it and it just becomes routine. You know, you're, you're walking in a new dressing room all the time, whether it be in the NHL or, or, you know, in a minor league city. So, uh, I just kind of got used to it and, um, I'm a pretty social guy, so I can generally walk <laughs> into a, a room and, and get along with, with pretty much every, everybody right away. Obviously you'd like to stick around with one team and, and build some good relations that way, but that just wasn't the way that that my career went off and um, you know, I was happy to, to move around and uh, always get a chance. I guess that's the way you got to look at it too. Like you always uh, had chances to play somewhere and I was just very thankful for that. I love you bring up the social part. You're very social because you and I got to know each other pretty well. Frequently some of the uh, areas in Edmonton where young uh, mm-hmm. people go to have a good time. Mm-hmm. And we hooked up with uh, Jamie McLennan. And I wanted you to uh, go back to when Noodles used to have a 70 party, 70s uh, party, 70 themes party on this Friday night. Or sorry, that was the, the Saturday night. And the Friday night would be a pub crawl. You were part of many of those times. I was there for uh, many of them as well. A lot of fun. But Noodles, there is a lot of other NHL guys. This is well before cameras on phone and social media. I mean, those are, do you remember them as good times as much as I do? I do. Well, yeah, I mean, there's obviously a couple particular moments that I remember very fondly, <laughs> but uh, um, yeah, I mean, you bring up noodles. He was, uh, he was always a great guy to hang around with. And, um, you know, one of the, one of the best guys that I ever played with in my career, you know, very social guy, um, you know, very welcoming to the, to the dress room. So it was guys like him that, that made it comfortable for, for me going into new situations. But uh, yeah, I remember those pub crawls uh, very well. And uh, we had some good times. Now, do you remember an incident between you and a, uh, a A&W burger bear uh, okay. at Red Deer? So we're not going to talk about it. Okay. Uh, you are. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah, it's a classic. Maybe explain to uh, my friends here uh, and uh, everyone listening what happened. Okay, so Noodles uh, <laughs> Pub Crawl, we, we had, um, I think the first night, was I think it was a dress-up the first night. It was, it was 70s or it was uh, superheroes. So right. um, I went to a costume store in Edmonton here and got the Incredible Hulk uh, costume. <laughs> um, so, you know, we, we have a couple of beers at Noodles House, uh, and then we get the bus to take us. We're going down to Calgary, and we stop at, uh, in Red Deer at Gasoline Alley, and it's, I think it's a Saturday, so, you know, a lot of people around. Uh, A&W's got a promotion going. They got the A&W root bear out there waving at traffic. So I get the bright idea, obviously, with the Hulk costume. I'm going to go say hello to the A&W root bear. So I get all geared up in my in my costume. And uh, the original plan was just to go and, and high five or, you know, just kind of, you know, make it look kind of funny. But halfway there, I was like, you know what? I'm going to run this thing over. 
So, uh, <laughs> so, so a 10 stride run and to bury this root bear. And, uh, I, I felt really horrible about it because as I was helping the bear up, uh, the voice was a woman's voice. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to give the kids root beer. <laughs> Uh, anyways, it, it was a pretty funny moment. I apologize, and I think everything got smoothed over. But uh, yeah, pretty funny moment. Did you get the coupon for a free teen burger for running over the the uh, bear, the NW yeah, bear? I think I've been banned from from NW. <laughs> In this day and age, if you that. did that now, it'd be like the leading story on the news, and they'd have to oh. land the Coast Guard helicopter in the parking lot and take you down with a taser. Yeah, you know, well, like Shreddy said, like that was that was before the time of uh, you know oh. video cameras and uh, phones and and everything. So actually, I think. Uh, there may be some video of it. I think Mike Commodore had a, a little handheld uh, camera at the time, and, and I think he has that somewhere. So I got to check in with him and try and get that thing destroyed. Well, those parties were unbelievable. Like they were, we did the, the Saturday night 70s party. He, Noodles would actually fly abandoned from St. Louis. And yeah, he, that's baller. It yeah, was, was going to fly the band in from a house party and while we, the rest of us are eating out of dumpsters. I, and, well, that's it. And Noodles would get, he'd try to get a community place, right? So he'd go to community, you know, wherever, St. Albert Community Hall and say, hey, can we rent your place? And then, you know, it'd be such a disaster. You know, he'd be trying to clean it up at three in the morning, but we, no one could see. And then the next morning, he'd be call the guy, hey, can I get my damage deposit back? And he'd be like, no way. So he'd have to keep moving around the city. A dead A&W bear stuffed into the garbage can. Well, yeah, by, by the end of the, by, by within five or six years, he couldn't get a place. There, he could not get a community hall to rent them anything for a hall party because they're so legendary. We'd buy, I remember I'd go into Safeway and I'd buy 150 two-liter things of pop. For mix, I'd buy as much ice as I could fit in my truck, wheel it over there. Noodles out the band. My buddy Holly be buying chips. We know he likes chips. He'd pound. He'd get all his <laughs> chips. And by the end of the night, the floor would be a mix of greasy chips, <laughs> sticky pop, and ice. And you're trying to dance out there. Like it was the best parties I've ever been to. It was ridiculous. Ironically, it sounds exactly like the parties I was going to when I wasn't a baller bringing in. So, like, with the exception of the band, that sounds like a pretty normal night, like chips and coke <laughs> and half a bottle of Captain Morgan's. And next thing you know, I'm dancing on the roof in your basement. Yeah, my it mom's basement. <laughs> not my basement. Didn't you hear the part where I'm not a baller? <laughs> now, Greener, what about. Now, obviously, it was a little bit uh, later on in your career when you went to uh, to Europe. But you go back, and as I mentioned, all the different cities you played in, all the all the different teammates you had. But uh, uh, last week we had Matt Hendricks on the show, kind of describe how his career just began, and he had a few points where his career, because he had turned down a contract one summer with Colorado, and then he waited out. He had to get a PTO, and he scored a hat-trick in the preseason, and that got him a contract. The uh, most clutch preseason <laughs> hat-trick in the history of the NHL. Take us through kind of the moments of your career that were maybe turning points to keep it going. Well, I think near the end, it it just kind of got old, the the traveling around and the, you know, the getting called up and sent down, and I think one year in Vancouver, I was up and down nine different times, and um, yeah, that, that was, a, that was kind of the year that I was like, okay, if this happens again next year, I'm going to, I'm going to go to Europe and, um, you know, going over to Europe was such a breath of fresh air because you knew you were going to be there, you know, in the same spot for the whole year. Um, it, it was tough kind of giving up on the, the NHL dream and, and, and ever getting a chance to win a Stanley cup. But I think it was the right move for myself and, and for the family just to get over there and get some stability and, and just enjoy a place for, for a full year. 
Yeah, you know, talk about heading over to Europe. I mean, it's it's an experience that, you know, very few people have had, but the setup's pretty amazing because you really just arrive with your hockey bag, a uh, tight pair of uh, shorts and T-shirts, and you get rolling right away. Yeah, that's it. Like, they, they pay for everything. Uh, they set, set you up in a house. They give you a car. Uh, everything's basically paid for. So, you know, whatever money you're making over there, you're basically taking home whatever you don't spend on food and, and whatever else. So, you know, you can you can put some money in the bank for sure playing over in Europe. And but I think more than anything for me, it was just to get over there and, and get a chance to, you know, to play a prominent role on a team and 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 have that feeling again, like you're the guy, you know, out there in, in key situations um, and and things like that. So, um, like I said, it was just it was a breath of fresh air going over there and and you know playing some good hockey and and building some good relationships with some some friends over there and. Um, just a good experience and, and one I'm glad I made. I always thought I was going to get over to Europe at the end of my career. Just It kind of happened a little bit sooner than I thought, but uh, looking back, I have no regrets at all. Now, so you started your pro career in 97-98. Uh, you had started the season in Swift Current, then you went to Portland, it looks like, where you had 26 goals, 44 points in 26 games. Did you get called up like midway through the season that year to, to the AHL? What happened was I went back as a 20-year-old to uh, to junior uh, to Swift Current and uh, ended up getting traded to Portland right away because they they figured that uh, I was going to sign a contract and leave fairly quick because I was kind of in a in a bit of a holdout with with LA at the time. Okay. Um. So th- so that's what happened. I went to Swift Current back as a 20-year-old. They traded me to Portland. And I played 20 uh, some games there, and, and then did eventually uh, get the contract with with LA and then. Uh, as soon as I signed, that was actually the year that Portland went on to win the Memorial yeah. Cup. And uh, when I signed, I had asked if I could stay because we had such a good team and really wanted to be a part of that. But they were like, "No, the the deal is here. You you, you got to get to the minors if you're gonna if you're gonna sign this contract and, and begin your pro career." So you start your pro career with Fredericton Canadians. Uh, you played 43 games that season. You had 16 goals, uh, pretty good numbers as a rookie. Just Talk about that challenge from being a 20-year-old absolutely dominating the Western League. Now you go to the American League and kind of talk about how that start of your pro career and you know if you thought maybe that first game in Fredericton would, would lead to you eventually playing over 340 games in the NHL. Well, I had hoped so. Um, you know, I, I, at the time I was ready. You know, I, like I said, I wanted to, to finish the year in Portland just because we had a good team, but you know, I, I was ready to turn pro, and, and that first year was, was great for me. It wasn't a full year. It was, it was just a half a year for me, so um, everything kind of came uh, at me pretty quick. But uh, like I said, I got a good opportunity to play there and play some big minutes right away, and um, this, the, the rest of the season went great for me there. And um, from there, the training camp the next season uh, made L.A. out of training camp. So uh, I'm, I'm glad, looking back, that I, that I did spend that half a year in, in, in Fredericton. I think it prepared me a little bit more for the NHL. All right, right now we're not sure if the NHLers are going to be going over to the Olympics. You know, being over in Europe this past year, was that on the minds of, of uh, you know, international players, when I say international, like Canadian players, American players that are playing in Europe? Are they are they talking about the chance of them competing in the Olympics? I think it's going around a little bit. Uh, so the the uh, North American players or the Canadian players over there got letters from, from Hockey Canada, obviously, uh, to keep them in mind for the Olympics because they were looking for players for Spangler Cup and I think uh, Deutschland Cup is another uh, tournament, international tournament that they play over the year over the year during the year. So, um, yeah, it's on it's on the minds of players for sure, and uh, because that's where the team is going to be picked from is, is players basically playing in Europe that are you know, that are Canadian. So, 
Um, everybody wants to play well and have a good year. And um, I, I wouldn't say that I was on the radar. I got a letter, you know, <laughs> saying that I was in consideration for the for the Spangler Cup or for the Deutschland Cup. I forget what it was, but uh, that obviously didn't come to fruition. But uh, yeah, I think for other guys, for younger players, it's it's certainly a on their minds, and it's a it's a great opportunity to to play for your country if the NHL doesn't go. All right, let's talk about uh, your time in the NHL. Like, who are some of the guys, like, you know, especially as a young player, you start out, really kind of get rolling here with the uh, with the mighty Edmonton Oilers. Like, some characters on that team, when you look at some of the guys uh, involved with that group, obviously a uh, younger George LaRock. You got Marty, the one-man party, Reisner, <laughs> Daniel Cleary. I mean, that was a real kind of character group, like a funny character group of guys. Are there any, any guys that really step out with you that, that first year? Well, that, that first year, uh, actually the first year that I came to Edmonton, I, I didn't really play at all because I had uh, torn my shoulder up at training camp and then uh, I went down for conditioning and then I ended up blowing out the other shoulder. So that was a tough first year. But the second year that I was in Edmonton was kind of where everything came together for me and I was able to play a healthy season. And um, uh, But yeah, we had a great group of guys there, a bunch of, just, just a bunch of great character guys. I hung out a lot with uh, Comrie. Cleary, Horkoff, um, you know, we kind of stuck together for the most part. And then obviously you had the, some of the older guys like Rem Murray, who was an unbelievable teammate, really funny guy, uh, Ethan Morrow, uh, Mike Greer, who was one of the best teammates you could ever imagine, uh, great guy. Uh, so, yeah, we had a bunch of really good players, really good guys, and I wish we could have had a little more success because it was a really fun group to, to be around. So playing in Edmonton in those days, now you, it's fair to say you have a fair sampling of hockey markets. You've played for a fair few teams, and everyone's making fun of you, and I'm going to jump on the pile. <laughs> How was playing in Edmonton and being the god of the city and going around? Uh, I don't know what bars are open in those days. Goose, Loonies, or Barry Tees. You went out in those days. Oh, I was very active. Barry Tees, uh, the Iron Horse. Was there some advantages to uh, wearing the copper and blue in those days, say with the fairer sex, walking around town, being the king of the city? If you wanted to take advantage of that, I think it definitely helped for the, for the Oilers. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, we had a good time, man. It was it was a fun time for me. I was young when when I played for Edmonton. My first go around, it was uh, I think in my early twenties, so um, single and you know having fun. And uh, in looking back, I wish I would have had a little bit less fun and ah. concentrated on hockey a little bit more. But uh, yeah, it was it was fun playing playing in Edmonton obviously I grew up an hour away in Camrose and oh, yeah. so that was the team that I grew up kind of idolizing and then um, when I got the call on on draft day that I was uh, going to get traded to, to the Oilers it was you know like a dream come true like it really was it was it was an un- unbelievable feeling almost uh, surreal uh, I, I just couldn't really believe it was happening so um, yeah, really exciting day and uh, have great memories from, from my time in Edmonton. Now, don't think I didn't look and notice that you got traded to the Flames a few years later. Don't think that missed. I just missed that during a cursory stare <laughs> at Stradwick's <laughs> bloody hockey DB page. What on earth were you thinking going and playing for the Calgary Flames? Well, I got a call from Daryl Sutter in the summer and he said he was looking, uh, you know, for like a, a third, fourth line uh, character, gritty guy. And I was like, okay, I'm all over it. You know, were Darryl you like, Sutter. no, Daryl, I was born and raised in the Edmonton area. I will not come play for your <laughs> terrible franchise with its hundreds of thousands of dollars. I mean, it's it's pretty hard to say no when that's the only offer you're getting at the time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I was like, well, either, uh, <laughs> you know, work construction with my dad or, uh, you know, play for the Flames. So, 
Uh, I will say this, though. It it was a little weird putting on that jersey after despising them for so long as a kid. But, you know, once you get in that dressing room around those guys and um, you you play your heart out for for whatever team you're playing for. Now, having played for both teams, though, can you definitively say that the Oilers are a superior franchise inside and out to the Calgary Flames and we can all rest easy knowing (laughs) that's the truth? Well, I think... Statistics prove it over the years that, uh, you know, Edmonton's got, they got the cups. And um, if you look at the whole body of work from both franchises, I would have to say that Edmonton has the upper hand. What's so it, good to hear. What's it like to wheel up and play with uh, Joe McGinn, a guy that's a, a, a tap-in Hall of Famer, you know, hundreds of goals scored, you know, and just take us inside that room. What's he like as a leader? He was one of the best leaders that I've ever played for, and he wasn't, so much like a rah-rah guy in the room it was just like what he did on the ice how he just kind of took the team on his back and is like okay follow me boys this is this is what we're gonna do um and obviously with that you know he's a great guy um great family man and i learned a lot from just being around him uh in that dressing room so uh, I, I i was really pulling for him when when uh, he had that chance uh at the stanley cup there in game seven uh, it was sad to see him not get it and um you know, he he's a guy that if anybody deserves a Stanley Cup, it would it would be him. You know, when you played with them, because I wonder what your thoughts are on this. Because when we play, when I played against, I played with Iggy in junior, and you know, he's a guy that you could kind of let sleep, and he'd get his maybe goal and an assist. You know, which is sounds like a lot, but it's not bad. But if you riled him up, all of a sudden that goal and assist turned into two goals and an assist, and he beat up one of your best players. So, you know, did did like. Did you see that, like, still in the NHL? Was it was that a fair comparison that if he just – the other team didn't get him riled up, he was just kind of, like, normal Iggy and not superhero Iggy? I, I would think that would be a strategy of some teams, is, you know, to play him hard, but don't don't upset him because I think he's a guy that plays better when he's mad. And um, some some of the players on your team are going to pay the price for sure. I was, I'm just thinking back to this uh, – the, the Calgary game um, against L.A. when the, the, the whole thing with the Kachuk thing was going on. And, you know, it wasn't really about Iggy, but all of a sudden, first period, Iggy's fighting Derek England and beating him. And so that's just kind of the guy that, you know, that yeah. he is, the, the type of team guy, you know, he's going to get in there and get his nose dirty. And I think that, what do you have, a Gordie Hattrick that night? So that just pretty much, pretty, pretty much exemplifies what he's all about. Greener, one one last one for you. You look back on on your career, and you mentioned uh, you know you started your minor hockey in, in Camrose. Uh, you get drafted in 1996 by the Kings, and uh, here you are. You just retired. Uh, you're I think you're turning 40 uh, later on this year. Why was now the time for you to finally pack it in? I think I knew about halfway through this season that it was probably going to be it. I was slowing down a little bit and. Um, the game's getting quicker. These guys are, are so young and, and so fast now. It was just becoming really hard for me to, to keep up and, and make plays at that speed. I just I just couldn't do it anymore. And, you know, obviously I'd like to keep playing, but I want to play at a level where, where I can be effective and I can compete. And I don't want to just be out there taking up space and, and just playing for the heck of it. So um, I had some concussions. This, I had a couple of concussions this year, which kind of played into this decision as well. Um, one was just kind of a bell ringer, but I had one later in the season that pretty much KO'd me, uh, and I was out over a month. And and so at that point, I was like, okay, I think this is this is going to be it. Uh, it's just you know I've got a family now, and uh, I think it was just time to to move on with with other things. And and I had a great run. It was it was 20 years uh, pro, um, you know, another five years of junior. So you know I, I left home when I was 15 years old, and 
so as far back as I can remember, hockey's hockey's been my life. And um, now that my kids are getting older, it's it's kind of more about them and and being there for them a little bit and and you know watching them play hockey and coach their teams and, and things like that. Those are the things now that that kind of interest me. So um, all those things combined kind of factored into the decision. But um, I'm at peace with with how everything went and um, happy with my career. Well, at least you figured it out when you were 39. Poor Strads figured out he couldn't compete at 20, and he still hung in there for another 18 oh, years. Oh, they kept dragging me back in. Just all that money just kept dragging yeah. you back yeah. in. Hey, oh, there, another couple million on the pile at the Stradic household. So what's now, Greener? What's yeah, what are you going to be doing now? That was my question, too. Jinx? Um, I'm not too sure. I'd, I'd like to stay in the game. Obviously, somehow it's really the only thing I know. I'm not I'm not really qualified to do anything else. So uh, <laughs> I'd like to maybe try and get into coaching. I've I uh, kind of got some feelers out there right now for, for some assistant coaching jobs uh, and uh, some things around the city here in Winnipeg with some younger kids too. So we'll see what uh, what what pans out here over the next little while. I'm not in really any huge rush to to jump on something right away, but um, I'd like to stay busy. And you know, I think if you if you take too too long um, away from the game after you're done playing, then it's kind of tough to get back in. So. If something comes up, uh, I'll jump on it right away. And, you know, ideally, we'd like to stay here in Winnipeg. We're, we've got our roots set here pretty good. But Yeah, what's up um, with that? Why'd you go to Winnipeg and you didn't come home where everybody misses you? And your mom probably <laughs> is like, why haven't you come home anytime soon and live here when you're retired? Well, I played for the Manitoba Moose here in 04 and, oh. and um, met my wife that season. So oh. she's from here and uh, her family is here. So we've kind of just decided that this was this was going to be our home, our, our off season while I was still playing. So. Um, you know, nothing's forever. We'll, we'll see what happens. Obviously, I got to go where the work is. So if that means, you know, coming back out west or going down to the states, we'll, we'll go wherever the work is. So Winnipeg's a lovely we'll city, though. Pardon me. Winnipeg's a lovely city. Winnipeg's great. We've only been here in the summer, obviously, because we're <laughs> playing in the winter. But the, the summers are beautiful. Uh, the summers are warmer here than they are in Edmonton. Yeah. So um, it's it's a good place to live. Well, you got it. You're Alberta strong, so I'm sure you can handle a Winnipeg winter. It won't kill you. Exactly. <laughs> Kill struds. He couldn't last two weeks in a Winnipeg. So, I'll tell you, you get in Winnipeg in the wind, yeah. man. I'm telling you, Portage and Maine. Oh, that's yeah. not a joke. That's easily the coldest corner in Canada. Yeah. There's the windiest intersection in Canada. Oh, there's there's no uh, no doubt about it. Uh, one final one, Josh. Was there outside of your family and your parents? Did you have a hockey coach or, or anybody that you felt just had a simple message or something that really was impactful for you having such a long career? Um, I, growing up, my, my dad was, was my coach a lot. So I, you know, I just kind of learned a lot from him, you know, his, through his guidance and, uh, he, he's kind of the strong silent type. And when he speaks up, you, you know, he's got something to say. So, uh, whenever he gave me advice, I'd obviously listen. And, and, and he was, he's a pretty smart hockey guy. He was, uh, he went to training camp with the Maple Leafs as a goalie. So he's got a bit of a background in the game. And, uh, so he coached me pretty much all the way throughout minor hockey and, um, I learned a lot from him just just watching him and, and how he you know interacts with people and he's, he's very very quiet very patient and not not that I took much of that from him but uh, it's, it's <laughs> something that I kind of I strive to be uh, the patience I'm working on it it's coming and I think if I if I become a coach I'm going to need need more of it than than what I have right now. Josh, great catching up with you again. Uh, enjoy retirement and uh, hopefully we see you around the uh, the uh, hockey trail soon. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks, Josh. Josh Green. What a career. Wow. 20 years. Did he say 20 years pro? That's no joke. That's that's crazy. Like, that's a long time. To be playing at his age, 
uh, you know, that he's an old man, but for, for sports, for hockey, he's very, you know, yeah, he's, he turned he's, pro yeah. when he was 20, Ridiculous. 1997, 98, and then just retired, uh, wrapping it up, uh, this past uh, spring. I think he retired like a month ago. He loves, he loves, he, you know, people there in Finland love them. You look oh, some of the comments on there. They love that guy. And he was a hard player and, uh, you know, he had an edge, no doubt. He had a temper and I mean, it's, that's what it was all about back then. It was a little edgy. We'll come back. Uh, story time with Strud's uh, Wine and Gretz, Jason Greger, as you were listening to the Real Life Podcast, brought to you by Finning Canada. 1.4 million parts at your fingertips. The parts new you need when you want them. Finning Canada. It's late, and you just finished a full day of work. Your equipment is done for the day, and tomorrow bright and early, you start all over again. You know what you need to keep it running smoothly, but there's not a break in the schedule to make that happen. With over 1.4 million cat parts at your fingertips on parts.cat.com, getting that part just became easier. Any device, anytime, anywhere. Get what you need, when you need it. Order today, parts.cat.com. We're back in the Real Life Podcast. Gregor Strudwick, Fonye, brought to you by Fitting Canada. The right parts for your equipment. How many parts? 1.4 million. That's all they could scrape together? That's all they could, yeah. It's tough times. 1.4 million They used parts. to have 1.45. Yeah. But yeah. Some, hard, some hard of the parts it. became uh, outdated. They didn't need them anymore. No. Well, some parts are bigger than others. I bet you I could go to a fitting place and not know the name of a single part. Like, except for like screw and bolt. I don't know anything about engines at all. So I would be unable to. They could be kidding. They could have eight parts, and I would walk in and just believe it if they had enough of them. Now, how about you do me a favor? Yeah. Before the next podcast, yeah. can you go purchase us a spark bucket? A spark? That's not even a real thing. You're trying bucket. to do that trick where I go in and ask if I can get a can of air from the air store, which doesn't exist. How about a fork? You know what that is? No, you should have said, how about deodorant? That would have been a way better burn. I know what a fork is. No, but a fork for a car. I think there is a fork nope. on a... Are you sure? Nope. You're sure you're saying no I'm to them? Sure, sure, I'm not sure. I'm saying no. Okay, I'm not yeah. sure about anything. I don't know I anything. I think it is. I'll tell you what I do know. Is okay, that a segue? You, you ready? Did I do that great? So, I go golfing at a pitch and putt this weekend because I'm going with my friend and I'm going with my other friend and my friend's wife and it's a beautiful night. You can go to Kinsman. You get through in an hour and a half or whatever it is. It's better than not playing golf. You follow? I'm with you. That's where kids go and play, yeah, right? Yeah, or blind yeah. people or people who've okay. recently woken out of comas. Right? Sure, I'm there. yeah, yeah. 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 And so we go, we're having a nice time, we have a few beers, and I'll be damned if your boy didn't step up Reese's Pieces in hand from the turn and get a hole-in-one on a par three. Now, I know that a hole-in-one on a par three course or a pitch and putt is not a hole-in-one at Augusta where you play with Bill Gates every sure. Sunday. True. And I know it's not the hole-in-one Gregor probably got in the media tournament to win best a, media guy ever. I've never had a hole-in-one. I did win that award, but I've never had a hole-in-one. So I go into the the shack. Luckily, you're playing at Kinsman. There's no beers you have to buy for anybody because there's no beer for sale, I don't think. But I go in and I say to the lady, I got a hole-in-one. And I wasn't expecting her to give me a Lamborghini for doing it, but she gave me nothing except for, like, a hearty congratulations. So now me and my buddies have been debating, is a hole-in-one at a pitch-and-putt legitimately something you can be proud of? Well, you can be proud of it, but it's not anything that compares to a real hole-in-one. But you don't have a hole-in-one, right? No. And you don't have a hole-in-one. No, but I would So not, I'm the hole-in-one champion. I wouldn't even bring it up. But I'm the hole You wouldn't bring it I up. I wouldn't even. I'd be embarrassed to the mention The greatest it. athletic feat like of it, my life? It was no. like 53 yards. It was like 53 yards. Yeah, and but, that's but, hard to knock a ball but, but, into but, a hole but from you, 53 yards. you have an eagle on a par four from 120. Well, that is true. But that yeah. isn't a hole-in-one. This is a hole-in-one. But it's not a hole-in-one. It's it a is 50 a hole-in-one. Yeah, it's 50 yards. It's like a ship. 
What? It's, doesn't it's even not count. a chip. A chip yeah. is five yards. No, but it's a chip can be 45 yards. A chip can be 80 yards. All depends on which, uh, which one you're using. Well, I have the hole-in-one champion of this room. I called my or my mother. Hold on, I've never played a pitch and putt, so that's really. Kinda... That doesn't mean you're just going to walk up and get a hole in well, one in your first. I'm you can play a pitch and putt for ten I'm years. You wouldn't go home. And I could play a pitch and putt and get a hole in one. In how long? How many tries? That's pretty bold statement. Yeah. Two, two rounds. Oh my! You will get a hole in one of the pitch and putt in two rounds. Well, if so, you did, it can't be that difficult. Oh well, you just bring one club out there. You bring a putter and a. Oh no, no, no! You bring two wedges. It's all a game of feel. I'll say this. My mother, she plays golf, and I played with her yeah. uh, a couple of years ago, and yeah. she chipped in from off the green. She called it a Jolly Roger. That is chipping? No. Hole in one. She was about 20 yards away, so I'm calling yours a Jolly Roger. Is it, it's the distance because you wouldn't yeah. tee off there. No. It's there's, there's no actual golf course that uh, that has it where you're, what, where you're hitting like, a, what, you're 60? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You would never hit. Would you hit your 60? On uh, and you were a member at the uh, the country club, were yeah. you not for a long time? Yeah. Would you ever hit a sixty off a tee there? God no. Yeah, exactly. So it's not a hole in one. If you're in the clubhouse of the country club right now, would you bring this story up? So yes, you got a I hole would get in, in everyone's face and I would say, "Listen, you rich bastards, here that's how this went down." And the reason why I left here is because no one's going to be happy for me, and I'm happy for me. So see you later. Oh. I'm living my life, and I would walk out. But what did you shoot high. on the re- like? What did you shoot? I think how? I was like two under on the back, and I don't remember on the front. But it's not you hard. Don't, to you sc- don't remember. It's not hard the- to score well at a pitch and putt. Well, I'm not like coming in here like, hey, guess what, everybody? I got 77 at a pitch and putt. No, I wouldn't be doing that. What I'm saying is I got a hole in one. Actually, if you got 77 on a pitch and putt, that would be terrible because you realize that 18 18 times three. three. Well, whatever the score would be. (laughs) How Aren't you a math whiz? Like, I thought you were a really smart guy. That's an impression that you just assume because I'm wearing glasses. No, no, you're an attractive man with glasses. Thank you very much. Very kind of you. It's getting slightly strange, but yes. So, how many, what, 18 holes on a pitch and putt? Is that the same? I've never been on one either. I might take my kids over though. Is it is it is it hard to get a tee time? Well, Kane will blast one pass. You got to let the him have. Boy. Yeah, yeah. He's he not. likes to swing for the fences. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm sure he's capable of crushing it. What's the longest hole? 80 yards, 70 yards. We oh. call that the long one. We don't. It's a you hit it in two. I mean, let's be real. Well, what's the one over by the Glendale? There's one there, isn't it? The Red Dragon or Dragon something? Head. Dragon Head. Red That's par Dragon. three. That's a little bit I harder than a pitch and putt. Closed down on 137. It's closed down. Yeah. Did what? it on 137? Right oh, by no. the Glendale. What happened? Well. Um, well, no, that like that's more. It's east of the Glendale. Actually, yeah. I just signed up as a social member at the Glendale. Oh wow, Lottie! <laughs> Someone's dropping over. Oh, holy jeez! Holy smokes! No, no, but it doesn't mean I get a play lot. I, I just purchased up, the Glendale Stradwick for, uh, for the food and the pool. So and, I, and I do get to golf. I think like I think I got to golf like ten rounds or something. So you're gonna go there, get in the pool, and eat. Well, my my my, yeah, my son likes to swim. Yeah, that's right. Well, look at you, eh? Look at you moving up. Your fancy swimming children. You know what I did when I was a child? I ate rocks, and I was happy to get them. I wasn't swimming at the Glendale in a champagne tub. Look at the life this guy's got. It's over impressive. Here, right? Big radio guy. Oh yeah, big shot. Hanging out. What with are you other talking about? You're a member of a club. Like you're a member of a club. I'm just a social member. It's like the lowest rung you can. It's get like in. a hole in one at a pitch and putt. No, I'm the social member well, too. It's a little bit above that. Yeah, I'm just a social member. I don't have time to golf. Yeah, my boss is driving me on reading stuff all the time. Old man Gregor's sending emails three me. in the morning. Ridiculous, <laughs> ridiculous. Wake up, look at this. Did you watch the Celtics practice? So no, no, now let's be honest. I don't know. Okay. Let's be honest. You've golfed a lot. Yeah, you're actually a pretty good golfer. That's high praise. Like well, when you golfed regularly, you were like what a four? When three? I was good, no, 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 no. It's eight, nine, ten, eight, twelve, fourteen. No, you're lying. 20. Be honest. Let's play for money. Liar. Ten. You were a ten? Maybe. 
depends on the course. Nah, depends on the pitch yeah. and putt, man. Some of those pitch and putts are easy. Other Gross. ones are kinsman hard. Yeah. You know, that's uh, a yeah. hard, hard so course. I, you've golfed a lot. Yeah. Would you honestly say that that was your best shot you've ever made in golf? I wasn't watching when it went in because I couldn't see because of the giant hill in front, making it even more difficult to get a hole in one. Like it was a impossible. giant hill on a 50. It was huge. It must have been six inches high. So outside of lying, mm-hmm. basically, I'm not lying. I'm it, telling it, you the exact truth. It wasn't your greatest sports achievement. Yeah, you know, it is. As my greatest sports achievement is a hole in one, a pitch and putt. No question. What is it? Making Pee Wee Tier 15? You don't make Pee Wee. Well, no, I thought You're assigned that, I thought to Pee Wee 15. Getting an eagle on a par four. I don't think so. I've had lots of eagles. On I mean, par whole, fours. No, on par fives. Not yeah, lots. Yeah, but that's different though. Eight, that's not for. It's like a. It's like ten. a. It's like a. You're putting. It's totally different because putt, everybody putt, you putt on That's why I don't hole. think that holing out for on, a, on a normal par four from the fairways is as amazing as a pitch and putt hole in one. It's still a hole in one. I was on the Astro turf. The little rubber nipple was there. I brushed it cleanly. I didn't use the nipple. Don't think I did. It's a performance enhancing aid. I, I wouldn't even be talking about this. No, yeah, this. I, well, I no, of course you're not. You're like, oh, the one time me and Brett Hall were out in the town and I scored eight goals on Patrick Waugh. We don't all have the Patrick Waugh hat trick stories. We apologize for all those who listen to story time. This is right. Like this is a great story. This is a story of triumph. Oh. It's a story of Reese's being a performance enhancing drug because I was eating one, knocked it in. Every 10 episodes, we let you tell a story. Yeah. And fail today. Yeah. What we, you, might have to have wow. a, we might have to have a vote from our listeners. Well, you know, I come to if tell they, my they, friends on my podcast about my big thing. And guess what I got? Didn't even move the needle. Nothing. That's right. Nothing. Less than nothing. Because no one's bragging about it. I'm not bragging. I was excited. At no point did no. I say I was an amazing human no, being. No, I well, said, you're hello, friends. The, Here's you're a wonderful thing pictures. I did. You, you laminated yeah. the scorecard. <laughs> right? Like, laminated it framing yeah, yeah, it. Yeah. Like, that's, you Took know, the stick a home. little bit. I'm wanted. You know, you're trying to buy weird. the pitch and putt yeah. course. Oh, yeah. Kinsman. No, yeah. No. Ridiculous. Kinsman. It's a hard pitch and putt. Ask any pitch and putt devotee. The podcast started great with Josh yeah. Green. Came yeah. in out hard. Great stuff. Yeah. Great story about him running over an AW root beer. That's, so illegal. Person. I, I can't believe it was a female. Yeah, I kind of feel bad. That's, that's sad. But ended huge with a story like, of it, triumph. Would you, like, if you could, would you be a mascot for a day in the uh, AW root beer or anyone like that? In the winter, yeah. In the summer, I'd what sweat if you, right What if you could it. be Hunter? No, too hot. I'd be sweating in right the rink. I was, you know, hot that thing? It's even on an average. Like for normal, what, 21 degrees? You put that on, you'd sweat right through it. What about this room that's 41 degrees? Oh, it's always hot in here. Oh, yeah. It's because Gregor's bringing the heat five days a week. Oh, baby. But would you, <laughs> but would you, if you could be a mascot, you wouldn't? No, oh, I don't know. No, it'd be too hot. I'd have to do it outdoors wow. in the wintertime. I'd have to fit me properly. So I could wear like the big bird costume, Snuffleupagus. Yeah. You need a back end for that, though. Uh, like four man. I mean, it's a two man costume. There's tons of college ones that you could wear. What would you wear? Would you do it? Well, the one I wanted, because growing I always thought the uh, Safeway Seal was probably one of the greatest ones ever. But if I could be the Funky Chicken what the hell for a is day. That? What? The San Diego Funky yeah. Chicken? Probably the greatest mascot you, of all time. What? How do you not know, know who the what Funky sport? Chicken is? I don't not know. Not the greatest of all time. What's Who's greater? There's a number right off the top of my head, the Montreal expert, Yuppie. Oop, Yuppie was fun. I put Yuppie up there. Yuppie, Yuppie's, Homer. Yuppie's Canadian. Homer from the Trappers. He was Dude, a Homer. We're talking worldwide. Okay. okay. Like Homer was, I, I will say this, Homer was a very unique shaped mascot. He was, yeah. Pretty unique for the sport. That was, that was very dunky. good, actually. But uh, the funky dunky. chicken man was like, I, well, obviously not for you, but the funky chicken was a big deal. I wasn't alive in 1940, though, when you were a little yeah, kid watching the like, funky chicken on your radio. The funky chicken was still around in the 2000s, dude. Really? Yeah. yeah. 
I never he didn't watch it. baseball. He was too busy watching the Oilers. Yeah, exactly. On VHS. Yeah. If, well, beta. Yeah, but they weren't playing when the funky chicken oh, was I was around. too busy counting down the days to my hole-in-one at Kinsman. I've been counting down for that thing for a while. It was very fulfilling. We should have a bet on who would get the first legitimate hole-in-one. I like, will enter a that A legitimate hole-in-one okay. has to be... I what, will. minimum 140 yards? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, three. Well, no, no. Like, legitimate hole-in-one is if you're at a golf course playing the tees you're playing from and you get a yeah. hole-in-one, that's a hole-in-one. Yeah, because some, you kind of, yeah. You 110 can't... yards. I've seen those. I've seen around yeah. 100 even from some advanced tees. Not the 61. I smoothed it into, though. 61 great yards, okay. they said. No, but it would have to be on per hole-in-one and how yeah. many rounds you play. Yeah. Because you are... Because Wanye plays more often. Not we now, I don't. Now I'm just stressed out for a living. But that's not his fault. I mean, we can't. We only play as much as we can. Okay. Don't guys your age golf and just sort of fade into uh, the sunset? Guys our age? Yeah. What are you talking about? Guys your age. How old do you think we are? Elderly-ish. You're, we're 40 Ish. years old. Yeah, 40 like years. We're, you're, you're within like five now. years no. of us. Oh, I would beg to differ. Well, I know how old you are, donkey. <laughs> so, <laughs> like you're a spring chicken. Yeah. Like, I, a spring I know chicken. you're thinking this podcast yeah. is going to get you ladies. Oh, oh yeah, big time, age, big okay? time. There's lots oh, of yeah. ladies listening. Yeah. One's Wait, my mom and one's my aunt. Hi, like, ladies. You're like the Jerry Seinfeld. You know, Seinfeld used to change the name on his pants or like the size on his pants. Yeah. Wanya has his, uh, he has his. I uh, would never. His license plate, uh, or sorry, his driver's license. No and all chance. of a sudden it's smudged out. It's like, uh, suddenly I was born in. Uh, 1992. The reverse <laughs> fake ID, where you're making your age lower to get into the bar. Yeah, no. You're McLovin. That's what on earth did you tie that to? You that? are McLovin. No, 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 no. What movie is that from? Oh my God! One of the greatest Predator of all time. Predator. Yeah. No, McLovin. Are you thinking of a different McLovin? I'm thinking of the one in Predator. That's who you are. The Predator McLovin? No. That's sweet. That guy <laughs> kicks Predator's ass at the end of the third one. You lost me. I don't even know who you're talking there about. There isn't a McLovin in Predator, Gregor. No, it's a McLovin no. from, what show is that? That's from I Super Bad. Super Bad. You yeah. looked it up on the internet. That's who you are. No, I'm not. Yeah, changing your ID to. Yeah. Oh, I see. I thought you like saying we like, resemble McLovin. No, not at no, all. No, God, he's no, very all. skinny. Yeah. You know who looks like McLovin? I don't know if anybody knows who this guy is. Pat Steinberg oh, yeah. looks exactly. Well, dude, does, his yeah, avatar like is McLovin. I'm is it? Pretty oh, sure I'm sure people know it. Oh, he's a good dude. Yeah, McLovin too. Actually, you, you know what? I saw that? McLovin. How can you say that you're like, hey, no one knows Steinberg, and then you bring him up, and you don't realize that? Well, I don't spend Mc, hours staring McLovin's at his Twitter his avatar. avatar. <laughs> I see Steinberg 960 or whatever it is. I saw McLovin once at South by Southwest, and he was in front of me. And we were getting like hot dogs at the three in the morning. South by Southwest. Oh my God, people your age. Yeah. And I'm in line for a hot dog, and this no, guy turns around. It? It's a music festival in Austin. And oh. this guy looks at me, and I look at him, and I assume everyone that I know is like someone from high yeah. school because I don't hang out with celebrities like you. Yeah. He gets about four steps away, and I just blurt out, McLovin. And then he turned around and talked to me. He was very nice because my brain finally processed who it was, and I couldn't think of his character. Right. I couldn't think of McLovin. Ah! He, he really never got past that character, did he? No, I don't. That was probably, he was probably happy for you to recognize That's him there. Thing. Oh, no, he had girls with him, like hot chicks. Girls. Oh, yeah. No, no, oh. girls, not chicks. Okay. Same, mostly the same thing. Okay. Yeah. Okay, uh, we'll try to rebound for the podcast. This podcast could basically yeah. just start yeah. mid-conversation and add yeah. mid-conversation, and exactly. we don't say a word well, the entire time. Thank you to Josh Green, though. Yeah. Yeah. He nailed it. Thanks for Greener. He helped. Yeah. Great, the best. Uh, great non-hole-in-one story by Wanye. Yeah, no, it's a hole-in-one. This is fantastic. To my grave. Fantastic. Yeah. Wanye, uh, we'll actually, you two will be running the show yes. next week. Oh, yeah. you're not going to be here? Uh, no, I'm uh, I'm on the uh, injured list next Monday. Oh. So I'm Special up. guest, Pearl Gregor, coming in to tell <laughs> stories. There you go. Nice. Well, you boys have fun. Uh, the Finning uh, Canada, they bring the podcast, just so you guys know. Yeah. All the parts you need in one place. Finning Canada, and they make calendars for Strug. Okay. Special.
Good luck with your kidney stone next week, Mr. Gregor. Hopefully I can pass it. Is that for real what's happening? I have to find out. We'll talk to you in two weeks. <laughs> <laughs>